every time we come to this place, we have a great privilege because this is God's place. But today, for some reason, I feel like the privilege is even more emphatic. Why is that? Because today, and for the next several Sundays, we're going to hear very specifically from the very words of Jesus Christ. Because we're going to study the Sermon on the Mount. And I've already said that it's the greatest sermon ever preached by Jesus himself. And he is teaching us and leading us to know his ways. Now, this is in Matthew 5, what we talk about today. The Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. All three of those chapters. But today we're going to talk about the Beatitudes. Matthew 5, 1 through 12. And it starts off by saying that Jesus went up the mountain, followed by the crowds, and seeing the crowds, he went up and he sat down to teach. Now, I want you to know, and I'm very thankful to be able to say this, say this that's why I sit. Because Jesus did. It's not because I'm old. Why did y'all laugh? Because I am old. But it's not that reason. That's not why I sit. And it's not because I'm tired and lazy. Because I'm not. But I sit because Jesus sat. Can you imagine? He was dealing with the crowds. He had already healed around through the, the region. And the crowds were clamoring after him. And now he's, it says he went up the mountain with the crowds and he sat down to teach. I want to tell you, I think there's something intimate about that. Intimate in a wonderful, godly way where Jesus just wanted to sit with his people and talk to them for a while. Now, I'm going to talk to you about these Beatitudes for 12 verses, just a small part of the Sermon on the Mount. He sat there probably on a rock, would you think? He didn't have a nice stool like I got. But he sat there, and he talked to the people for hours. Now, would you like for that to be the case? Maybe... Maybe till about 5 o'clock this afternoon. And I could say, well, glad y'all were here. Now you can go home and get a hamburger or something. No, we don't do that in the Baptist church. You know, I usually finish about 12 or 10 after 12 or 12.30. No, I don't ever go that long. But Jesus sat with his people and talked to them. And I love that. And that actually is exactly the reason why I sit. And I've been sitting when I preach and teach for years. And so, thank you, Jesus, for allowing me to sit. But now we're going to talk about this thing called the Beatitudes. Now, what do the Beatitudes show us? There are really many things. In fact, I could preach, I believe... Anybody that wants to study and pray and follow the Lord could preach a sermon on every one of the Beatitudes. 
And then we would be here until 5 o'clock this afternoon. <laughs> but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go over the Beatitudes and I'm going to talk about first that it shows us things that we are to believe as Christian people. It gives us foundational principles on which we can build the house, as I talked about last Sunday. It gives us the very words of Jesus when he said, Blessed are those. And he went on to say these various Beatitudes. And so it shows us things that we're to believe. And then it shows us how we're to live. What we're to do. What, how we're to practice. Do you remember what Jesus said? And we're going to go over this probably every time that I speak about the Sermon on the Mount. But at the end of the Sermon on the Mount... Just please remember that Jesus himself said, those of you that hear my words and put them into practice, that means those of you that hear, that realize that this is Jesus' words, the way we're to believe, and then put them into your actions, into your behavior, into your practice, then they're like the man that built his house on the, the rock. And the house stood against all the storms and the gales and the heartaches and the troubles and the struggles of life. And the house did not crash and fall because these Beatitudes and the entire Sermon on the Mount are the words of Jesus Christ himself. And I want you and I to take those in at that level. So please, I'm going to have the privilege, I'm thankful to share these words with you. And I'm going to reflect on them a little bit and say a word or two or tie them into some, some other scripture passages that are very meaningful to all of us. But I want you to listen very carefully and to take in the words of Jesus Christ. So if you want to get your Bible or get your phone out and turn to chapter 5 of Matthew, Verses, verses 1 through 12. Now, before, before I start into verse, the first beatitude, since, since all of these beatitudes start with the term blessed, what does that mean? What does it mean to be blessed? Well, some people might say, well, that means that it makes us happy. Well, yes, and I'm in favor of being happy. I like to be happy. But I want you to know that happiness is just a passing emotion. Happiness is tied more to circumstance than to a state of being. So being in favor of happy and being blessed, yes, that's a bit of a part of it. However, the blessings that we're talking about here go much, much deeper they're involved at the very depths of our being because blessed here means a joy. A deep, significant, sincere joy of soul and spirit. Now I want you to think about that definition for a moment. So when it says blessed are the poor in spirit or blessed are the merciful or blessed are the meek. It is saying that when you are blessed according to these words of Jesus Christ, that you have a deep state of being in your spirit and in your soul that indicates that you have joy, a joy that is continuing, not just passing. 
And that in and of itself is another blessing involved in all of this. So we go to the fifth chapter of Matthew. And we look and it says first there in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now what in the world does it mean by being poor in spirit? I will look around at each one of you and say, are you poor in spirit? It's saying here that we do need to be or we're blessed if we're poor in spirit. Now that's a bit of an unusual statement. So what does that mean? Well, I'm going to say that what I think and what I see that others think, people that maybe know more about it than I do, being poor in spirit means that you see your need for Jesus Christ. That your spirit is poor in and of itself in its own natural selfish state. So when your spirit is poor, then it says that you need Jesus Christ. And it says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so I've heard it say, and it's a little bit of a slang way of saying it, but it makes some sense that usually for all of us, there is an empty spot in our life that is specifically shaped like Jesus Christ. That the only piece of the puzzle that will fit into that particular empty spot is Jesus himself. And without Jesus, then we are poor and empty. Well, if you see the need for that, and you see that Jesus is the filling of that, then it tells us that theirs, yours, mine, is the gift of the kingdom of heaven. So this salvation that you and I have through Jesus Christ is the only way to fill that spot. It's the only way to have this blessing of the kingdom of heaven. Because in the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 12, it says that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which a man can be saved. And so there, blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you realize that Jesus himself used the term kingdom of heaven in various places to describe himself. And so when we see the need, we, we see that we need Jesus in our life, then we are blessed with the kingdom of heaven. And then verse 4, blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, mourning or grief, as it is, is a real part of our life. And we even spoke earlier about the Anderson family. And they are in the midst of a grieving experience because of the loss of Ryan's mom. Many of you have lost loved ones and you have mourned or grieved over that, certainly. But that's not the kind of mourning that I believe this beatitude is talking about. Because it says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. I think this is a mourn, mourning or a grief that is related to the sin in this world. Or the sin in your life or in my life. So let me just ask. Do you grieve over the sin in your life? Because that's what this is saying. Blessed are those that grieve or mourn because of sin in this world. Do you look at this world? 
Do you look at some of the behavior of this world? And does it just break your heart with grief and mourning? Yes. And if it does, then that means you have a sensitivity from the Lord that indicates that you're grieving over the sin. However, how does the comfort come? Well, folks, we know, you know, I know that in Jesus Christ, there is a way out of the sin. You don't have to live in the sin. The scripture tells us we don't have to live in the sin. And so the comfort for this deep sadness over sin comes because of statements like in Romans 8.1 where it says, those that are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for them. There is no condemnation for that that is in Christ Jesus, you and me. And then in 2 Corinthians 5.17 it says, Anyone that is in Christ Jesus is a new creation. The old order has passed away. Everything has become new. There is a way out of sin. And so therein is the comfort, the joy that comes and the blessing for you and I that know that we can get away from the sin through Jesus Christ. Verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Okay, so to be blessed in this way and inherit the earth, we're to be meek. We're to be weak. We're to be indecisive. We're to be lacking in confidence and security. We're not to be strong. Is that right? Please shake your head this way. That's not what this means at all. Because this is talking about having Jesus Christ in your life. And my question to you, was Jesus Christ meek? Yes, but not in the way I just described. Because he was not weak and indecisive. In fact, if you want to be real honest about it, sometimes Jesus Christ was a raging, righteous man. He didn't like lies and things that Satan threw into people's lives. He stood on truth, and he spoke truth, and he lived truth, and he demonstrated truth. And if you ever think about the fact that in strength and in power and in sacrifice, Jesus Christ, the meek person that he was, went to the cross. Willingly went to the cross. They didn't make him. He willingly went to the cross. That's not weakness. But it is meekness. So what does meek mean? Meek means humility. Because we are called in several places in scripture. To follow the example of Jesus Christ and be humble. Now that means. Humility means that we know that God is God and I'm not. God is God and you're not. God is the king and we're not. We're not the rulers. It is Almighty God through Jesus Christ that rules our lives. And when we know that and when we live according to that, then we're practicing humility because Jesus demonstrated it. The second chapter of Philippians, it says it made himself, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself. Listen carefully to the words. He humbled himself and became obedient even to death on a cross. 
That's Jesus Christ. It's saying, blessed is the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Well, think about that for a moment. If we're followers of Jesus and if we have Jesus in our lives, then when he comes back, this earth is going to be restored. This world is not going to end. It's going to be redone through the presence and the power of Jesus Christ coming back to this place where we live. And you and I are going to have the privilege of being a part of all that. And if we are as we live in and through Jesus Christ now, then this is saying, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So that means when Jesus Christ comes back, and he is coming back, you and I are going to inherit the earth. Amen? Thank you. Just want to be sure if you were awake. Now, be awake because this is powerful in the words of Jesus Christ. And so next it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Do you hunger and thirst? Do you have a craving? Do you have a drive toward righteousness? Now, in our selfishness and our sinfulness and our natural state, we have a drive toward sin. That's part of what scripture tells us. We're born into sin. We live in sin. And only through the deliverance of Jesus Christ in our life is sin taken away. But this is saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And the only way, the only way that you and I can be righteous is through the presence of Jesus Christ in our life. And hunger and thirst Yes, if you and I are living with Jesus and following Jesus and then listening to his words and practicing those, then I think there's going to be an absolute hunger for rightness. There's going to be a thirst that needs to be quenched because of the presence of Jesus Christ in life. And therein is the blessings because I remind you of what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman in the fourth chapter of John. He said, when they were talking about being thirsty, he said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Thirst, yes, if you thirst, then we're going to turn to Jesus. If you thirst for righteousness, then we're blessed because then we will be filled. We will have that hunger and thirst satisfied. In verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Mercy. Now, what does that mean? It has to do with forgiveness and compassion. And it says you and I are blessed when we show mercy, because mercy will be given to us. Now, Forgiveness and compassion, are you and I able to do that in our own natural state? I don't believe so. Again, our sinfulness barriers or blocks a lot of this that we're talking about. But through Jesus Christ, we can talk about it and we can move toward it and we can attain much of this. And so then we're involved in a God thing. 
Let me ask you, do you want to be involved in a God thing? Well, forgiveness is a God thing. And in fact, I believe only through the presence of Jesus Christ in our life can we forgive others. Yes, the scripture commands us. We're expected to forgive others because of Jesus' commandments. But I think we've got to rely on Jesus Christ. We've got to understand that he is the one doing the forgiving because this is his territory. I actually believe after working with people for all these many years that non-Christians cannot forgive. Now, if you disagree with me, that's fine. Please talk to me afterwards. I'll talk to you a little bit more about that. But in our selfishness and our naturalness, when it says that blessed are the merciful because they will know and receive God's mercy, I believe for us to be merciful, we have to have Jesus Christ in our life. We have to be believing Christians because that's his work. But then I know that through Jesus Christ and with him, because in, it says in the Sermon on the Mount, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, forgiveness is part of God's territory. So when we're merciful then we're blessed, and it says we will be shown mercy. Now, mercy, forgiveness, my word peace comes back in, and I'm going to talk about it more in just a moment. But mercy produces peacefulness. Forgiveness produces peacefulness in you and in me. That's part of the blessings of being merciful. And then verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart. For they will see God. Forgiveness again. Pure in heart. The only way you are righteous, the only way I am righteous, is by being forgiven. And so in Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness. But that's not all we need. Now let me talk to you for just a moment about this. I trust, I hope that everybody in the room has Jesus Christ in their life. If you don't, please talk to me before you leave here today. I want to share the best truth in all the world, and that is Jesus Christ. But if or since you have Jesus Christ in your life, there was a time where you came into the knowledge of Jesus Christ, you looked at Jesus Christ, you believed and you accepted the fact that Jesus was real and that 2,000 years ago he died on the cross for your sins and for the sins of this world. And you accepted Jesus Christ into your life in this wonderful and glorious moment where you were justified. And that's what it's called. When you're justified through accepting Jesus Christ, the charges are dismissed. They are no longer. Your sin has been forgiven. So that is a wonderful fact, and it is an instantaneous fact when you are justified through accepting Christ into your life, and then you have the Holy Spirit in your life. But that's not the whole ballgame, because there's a thing called pruning. Let me read this scripture from the 15th chapter of John. 
verses 1 through 4, it says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now there it is. The word he has spoken to you is, I am real, I am truth, you accept that word, then you're justified. But then what about the pruning? The pruning so that we will be more godly, more sacrificial, more surrendered and submissive to, to God's plan. That's called sanctification. That's the other big word that we got here. We got justification, instantaneous sanctification. How long does sanctification take? All of our lives. <laughs> All of our lives. So regardless of whether you're a young person, middle-aged, old, you're still in the process of being sanctified through the presence and the disciplining and the pruning of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ in your life. And so it says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, we are going to see God. Now, I, I want to say a word about that because we can see God right now. Now, we see him partially because we still have our sin and our selfishness in our lives. But through God's word, through prayer, through church fellowship, through worship, we see God. And it's a wonderful experience. We're blessed and we are privileged to be able to see God. And then one day, either when Jesus comes back or we go to be with him, then we're going to see totally, absolutely, and clearly. And the way we're able to see God now and in eternity is that we have been justified through accepting Christ in our life. And we have been pruned We've been discipled and disciplined through the sanctification that we experience through Jesus Christ. So blessed are the pure in spirit and in heart, for they will see God. And then the verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Now, I talk a lot about peace. In fact... I would have to say to you that peace is maybe my favorite word. And there's only one place that you can get this peace. And there's only one place where you can create peace. There's only one place where peace can be available. And that is in the presence and the power of Jesus Christ himself. And so Jesus is saying right here, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons and the daughters of God. Now I want to talk about that and get you to think about that for a little bit because what does it mean? What is a peacemaker? Are you a peacemaker? Am I a peacemaker? Is that part of our experience with each other and with your family and with your brothers and sisters, with your church family? I hope so. Because in Scripture... In 2 Corinthians, again, 5.17, where I mentioned a minute ago, but going on through verse 21, it talks about the fact that you and I, through Jesus Christ and his presence in our life, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Well, now what that means is we've been given the ministry of people receiving peace 
because of their relationship with Jesus Christ. Because reconciliation is what Jesus does. He reconciles us to him or people to him. And in that, we are able to accomplish peace. Listen to the scripture. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and gave us, listen carefully, gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them as he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as through God we're making his appeal through us We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what that means is, is that when we teach the presence of Jesus Christ, when we teach this ministry of reconciliation, when we preach and share and witness the truth and the power of Jesus Christ, then we're involved in peacemaking because then through Jesus Christ and only through Jesus Christ are you and I able to be at peace and others able to be at peace. So again, we have the privilege in this beatitude and that's part of why we're blessed because this peace is a process of Almighty God. It is through Jesus Christ and he wants us to be peacemakers. And then we're called the sons of And the daughters of God. We're part of his family. Hallelujah. And the last beatitude that we will look at. Blessed are those that are persecuted. Because of righteousness. Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Persecution. Do you like that word? No. Because we are based on comfort and convenience. I'm very comfortable sitting here sharing these words with you. You're not going to throw rocks at me. At least not right now. (laughs) But they threw rocks at the prophets. They threw rocks at Stephen. They hung Jesus on a cross. Talking about persecution. The apostles. You know, when we are persecuted, and I have been persecuted some in the past in my Christian life, persecuted for righteousness sake, for the things of God. But when we are persecuted, guess what, folks? We're in good company. We're in the company of Jesus Christ. We're in the company of Stephen. We're in the company of the prophets. We're in the company of the apostles because they were persecuted. And they were ridiculed. And we are promised. Now, it's not an option, folks. Why do I say that? It's not an option. We're going to be persecuted. If you have not been, or if you're not being persecuted right now, you're going to be persecuted. Why do I say that? This is Jesus' words in the 15th chapter of John. He says, If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. Jesus is saying this, The night before his crucifixion, he's saying it to his disciples and he's saying it to you and me. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, 
You do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And surely they persecuted him. So with that phrase, Jesus turned our comfort upside down. And the fact is, having experienced some persecution in my life, I know that there's blessing in that. No, it's not fun sometimes. But I do know when you're persecuted now or in the future that Jesus is going to take care of his people. We're promised that throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. I've said to you in the past, and the plagues in Egypt, those were horrific experiences for the Egyptian people. But guess who didn't experience those plagues? God's people. There are several places back in Exodus where it says that the plagues came, but not upon the Jewish people, because they were God's people, and he protected them. And so we've got to move in blessings and in joy and all of what we're talking about, even into persecution. Now, I'm going to end my sharing with you today with an Old Testament passage that I think fits in this whole business of Beatitudes and being blessed, and it fits perfectly in the protection and the comfort from Almighty God for His people. Because you know, but I'm just going to share with you the 23rd Psalm. Beautiful, powerful, hopeful protection from Almighty God. Because it says, the Lord is my shepherd. Take that personally, please. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and leads me beside the still waters. What a peaceful scene. And it's real in the spirit and in the presence of Jesus Christ. And he restores my soul. Do you need your soul restored? Well, if we're hurting, struggling, persecuted, yes. But he restores my soul and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Righteous, the Beatitudes talk about being righteous several places. Jesus leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yes, even though we do walk through the valley of the shadow of death and we do walk through struggles and storms all the time in our life, this passage says, I will fear no evil. Now please let that sink in because evil is Satan's territory and he wants you to be frightened. But God is saying that even though we're in these terrible times and even though we're in storms, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Do you understand that there's protection in that? And even in the face of my enemies, you prepare a banquet. You prepare a feast in front of me and my enemies. You prepare for me 
a complete nourishment of your spirit and your ways and your peace and your forgiveness. That's what that means. Even in the face of the enemies, the storms that we have in life or the opposition we have in life, you prepare a banquet before me. And you anoint my head with refreshing ointments and oil. And my cup overflows. You want to talk about satisfying thirst? My cup overflows with your presence. And surely. I'm going to sit with that word for a moment. Surely. Absolutely. Goodness and mercy and love will follow me all of the days of my life. That means right now. Surely, goodness and mercy and love will follow me all of the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know how long forever is? I don't know. But it's going to be a trip. I will dwell in God's house under his care and his love and his people for all of eternity. That is the gift when we live in the truth of Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Jesus, we thank you for your words. What powerful words, what hopeful words, what blessings you are providing for us. If, if we will just hear your words and put them into practice to be the kind of people that you're teaching us, even in these wonderful words today and in the wonderful words coming these next several weeks. You're teaching us how to be your people, what to do to be your people. And I just pray for myself and for everybody hearing me right now, for everybody in this church. I pray that we will submit, we will surrender, we will give ourselves to you for your ways and your will and for what you want in our lives and in our families and in our church. And then we thank you because there will be righteousness and peacefulness and all the blessings that you want to give to your people. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this teaching. Thank you for your words. Thank you. And we pray in your wonderful name, Jesus Christ. Amen.